This is a Sunday message from New Community Church in London. To discover more about New Community, visit newcom.church. I will restore you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All his works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom, and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. Well, welcome. We are continuing our Redig the Wells series, and we're into part two from one generation to another. And I'm joined by Dave. Dave Holden, thank you so much for joining me. You're well? Pleasure. Yes. Good. Dave, when um, people ask me to describe my role and what I do and your role and what you do, I've kind of um, taken to describing myself as lead elder or lead pastor and you as one of the elders, but also the founding pastor as well as being the leader of the family of churches that we belong to. Um, that work for you, is that okay? It's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? But I think it does probably work. I always find the phrase founding pastor um, makes me think of, maybe I got on to the boat with the Pilgrim Fathers and went and discovered a new land or something like that. But apart from that, I'm happy with that. And I love being an elder and part of your team. And I think it's important for someone like me as I kind of travel around and do things that I've got a local setting where I'm working out real life. And it's great having you on the team. So Dave, you this church started in 1976, mm-hmm. I believe, a long time before I was born. And there have been lots of um, big moments in the new community story um, over the years. I, I think I know the answer to this, but have you ever lived through anything like the last 18 months? <laughs> Uh, no, is the simple answer. I mean, as a church, like all churches, we've had seasons where I can honestly say we went through some kind of um, affliction, particularly had some difficulties in the early days, but uh, not at this level where it's been so sustained. And also that every person in the church has been affected, yeah. but then every person in every church has been affected by it as well. I mean, the reality is we've said publicly, I have, you have, others have a number of times, you can't go through a pandemic like this that's lasted for as long as it has without asking big questions about who we are, what we do, why we do it, how we do it, all of those kind of things, what we're called to. Um, you're involved in lots of settings wider than just new community across different networks, spheres, movements of churches. What kind of things are you picking up from your conversations with other church and church movement leaders? Well, of course, there's lots of things. Um, there is the bottom line, the realization, I think, that although God didn't start COVID, he has allowed it to happen for very good reasons. And the longer it's gone on, I think you've realized God wants to do something mm 
of of, of an enormous value. Um, if this had lasted six weeks, and I seem to remember you and me sitting on this platform saying it might only last six weeks. I, I think I said three weeks. Okay, well done, three weeks. <laughs> but here we are again, 18 months later, and I think there's a realization that God has allowed it to go on for a long time. And one yep. of the reasons is that he wants to do a very uh, deep change in us and our churches. And I think some pastors that I talk to are now talking about pre-COVID church. Mm and what they hope will be post-COVID church. So it might be helpful if I just headline some of the things that, that a lot of people are talking about, which I think it, it gives us security because I'm sure we identify with some of these things as well. So for example, I, I think people were obviously very aware we couldn't go to buildings or meetings on Sundays. So the question was, is God saying to us, you've put too much emphasis mm. on a building and on a meeting? Uh, rather than being a people. I remember one pastor saying to me, I feel like I'm just drawing a crowd. Yeah. This was before uh, COVID hit. And he said, I believe I'm called to make disciples, but drawing a crowd doesn't really mean you make disciples. And suddenly his whole world changed. I think another one is a question about whether or not we've become too consumerist. In mm. other words, we put on meetings that are of a kind of style of entertainment for people rather than meetings for the glory of God and to know uh, the presence of God. And obviously some of these are generalizations and I don't want anything, anybody saying we didn't do things wrong or we did them badly, yeah. but the pause button has just made us really reflect yeah. um, big time. I, I know a lot of leaders have, have wondered whether our meetings have become too predictable. They're just a bit too samey. And one guy said to me, the problem is that we're not only predictable, but we liked them being predictable. And that's even more scary when you think you're worshipping a living God who does new things all, all the time. And I think maybe just one other thing is a lot of leaders have reflected on, has church become a bit too organisational? Yeah. In other words, um, organised church led by almost CEO type leaders. And there's nothing wrong with organization, it's important, but it's not the big picture you get in scripture, which is yeah. more of a, a family yes. that's led by fathers. And that's a completely different model. I mean, there's loads of other things, the importance of the, of the home. Yeah. Lots of churches have been looking at Acts 2 and realizing that it's actually in the home that you make disciples, you fellowship and you really get to know one another in community that followers of Jesus are seven days a week and not popping in occasionally on a Sunday morning. Yeah. And I think the realization that church had become very busy for a, a few people rather than everybody in the body of Christ all playing their parts. So, I mean, there's loads more, but those will be the biggies that I'm picking up from people. Well, it's encouraging that you're picking up stuff that we're feeling. Like, you know, there's always that moment sure. as a, a local church leader <clears throat> that you kind of think, oh, feeling this, are we the only ones? <laughs> so to know that there are, I mean, this that kind of tallies with all sorts of different friends that I have who lead other yep. churches and what they're feeling and similar stuff. So everybody in Christendom in That's the true. world yeah. is going through this period. And I think actually, if you look at sort of the, obviously we've not gone through something like that in, in my generation or your generation's lifetime, but throughout church history, there is somewhat of a cyclical period. If you think of as chapters of a story, which is the way we describe it here, there's different chapters um, throughout this life of, of the church. And I guess each generation inherits an expression of the way we've done church and then needs to kind of go to back to scriptures itself again and go, how do we align ourselves or realign ourselves or how do we build on the things that have, are really good or actually what are some of the things perhaps we need to change and then kind of biblically um, rethink, if you like, what it looks like in a, in a new world. Mm. I imagine that the 1970s looked very different mm. to the 1980s, to the 90s, to the noughties, to the, what, I don't know, 10s, 20s. And then obviously post-COVID, it's going to look um, very, very different again. We kind of don't do anything in isolation. We build on what's come before, the stuff that was good, keep building on that, the stuff that needs to be reshaped or rethought through or whatever it might be in, in that kind of... Um, in that kind of sense. One of the things I was just, I was reading just recently about um, this village somewhere um, where every older person would write down a life lesson 
and then they would go and uh, the, to pass on to future generations and then they would place it in a hut in the center of the, the village and every once in a while those lessons would be um, kind of f uh, that had been forged in the lives of people who'd gone before of the elders if you like the older generation they would be read out for this new generation to learn um, to learn from and the villagers called that place uh, the wisdom house and I kind of feel like a little bit in a sense that this is a little bit of a wisdom house moment um, actually learning from those who come before but actually it's also more than that you see we talk here of story and our story at New Community is obviously part of a much bigger story and it's this bigger story that the Bible tells from Genesis to Revelation and all the rest of it and when we look at scripture we see the importance of generations one generation to the next is 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 repeated and we tend to deal in in months and years and maybe decades I guess but God seems to deal in, in generations and that mm. importance of it. And Psalm 145 verse 4, one generation shall commend your works to another. And that's more than just telling stories of what's gone before. And in the good old days, it was like this. But it's actually recognizing, I think, that each generation has a role to play and, and that your role changes over time and you have a responsibility. And I just, well, I guess I want to ask you, Dave, you've, you've had many roles when this church started when you were first leading it way back when you were younger a lot younger than I, I am now um, and your role has changed throughout that time from being a young leader to a father to a grandfather that's reflected your own you weren't married I don't think when you first started or just no, married single. and then, <laughs> then married and then became a father and now a grandfather to how many grandkids have you got 13 now? 13 grandkids now so how have you personally adapted to those mm. changing seasons, chapters of the story, however you want to look at it, shifts through from mm. that? Um, and and what, how, have you adapted to that successfully? Because I, I would commend you and say I think you've done it successfully. I'm not saying you've done it perfectly, but successfully, you're still here, still passionate about Jesus, still passionate about the local church. But what, how, how have you done that? And what are some of the key things do you th that you think are kind of um, that you and your peers and your generation, if you like, need to, and generations behind you, need to consider um, to keep at the forefront of stuff as, you, as your role changes mm, and things sure. happen. Uh, I think there's about a dozen questions. Obviously. <laughs> to try and answer, but uh, as briefly as I can. And I think this is a really important thing for us as a church as we do this Redigging the World series, because... Um, obviously, as the years go by, you do change. But although you change, your role, and which will also change, but your contribution yeah. is still just as, as valid. Um, when you're an older person, perhaps your rhythm and pace uh, would change a little bit. But actually, your God-given gifts and mm. abilities are still just uh, alive. And I, I think that's really important. Because as you've said, generation is not necessarily about um, an age, one generation yeah. to another. And it's interesting for me because um, uh, a family, as you've described, my family is full of different types of people and of all ages. So when I was in a past generation in the 70s to 90s, we were made up of older people and young people and singles and marrieds and children. Um, and that's still the same today. Yeah. Um, and it's, a, it's about being a family made up of all ages with all contributions. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 13, John says, he speaks to this church and he says, to the fathers who have known God from the beginning, to the younger men who have overcome the enemy, and then to children, actually, that you have come to know the Father. So I think it's very important that we realize that we're all as important as one another in whatever generation we're involved in. And so, as you said, in the 90, 70s to 90s, I was a young dad with a young family, and here I am all these decades later, 2021, and I'm still here. Can you believe it? Um, and church is a family made up of children and adults and singles and marrieds and parents and grandparents. It's full of diversity. And it's an that is what an expression of a generation is. Mm. And that is what an expression of church is. And I would argue any kind of church that doesn't have all that diversity isn't really a church or even within the church any expression that doesn't have that diversity i mean we could have meetings in new community where 
you can have an older crowd at one meeting and a younger crowd at another meeting. And it's not like the end of the world, but you've kind of lost something of an intergenerational church right in that, that moment. So each generation together have valid contributions. Now, here's the big challenge for people who have been around as long as I have, or a generation that's been around um, from the past, and that is to constantly look back at the past mm. as if that was the golden yeah. era, and then uh, trying to compare everything from the past to what is present. And the golden era of the past wasn't golden, and the thing about it is it's past. Mm. And I think this is a big key for uh, intergenerational church. One generation tells another. And that is that we all have to live in the present. Today is the important moment, not the past and not actually even the future. It's mm, good. Yeah. But it really is that I live now. It's what do I contribute now? What do I pray about now? Who do I mix with now and we have got unchanging truths and values down through the years but as you said earlier the 70s culture is so different to the culture that we have today it means it's frightening it's it's almost um it's terrifying <laughs> that that in 50 years so much has changed so quickly past generations hardly had any changes over yeah. centuries but we've gone through that so for my generation knowing their unchanging truths and values, to not change and not adapt and not realize there's got to be new ways to communicate um, would be very foolish because the whole world has changed dramatically. And I think what you said earlier about pre and post COVID, again, there's just been a huge shift and we don't quite yet know exactly what that is going to look like. And that's why I, I particularly yep. loved what you just said then about, we don't live in the past, yes, absolutely. We don't actually live in the future. We're looking to that, of course, but we're actually looking to a, a heavenly city and all that kind of future. But living here now in the present yep. and what's God calling us to be and to do now. And that, that key thing for me of generations shifting and your role changing, it does not make it. And I think this is so very, very important. It does not make mean, well, my generation or your generation or this generation has had their time. Thanks. Over to someone else now. Off you go. I, I've... <clears throat> This such crucial thing when you look in scripture, there's such crucial thing of and actually just a family life as well of you need each generation yeah. like an, of of doing their thing in this moment, playing their part in this moment, which works down <clears throat> generations, but it works up as well, playing a part in that and it shifts and change. Hannah and I arrived here in 2005. We weren't married. We got married. We didn't have any kids. We had some kids. We'd grown and changed and kind of having that revelation really we're not young anymore like it is a revelation <laughs> it is that happens it really is because you have that moment you go i don't feel like i'm old enough to be no. a grown-up yet and then you're like no actually i am and i've moved this i've got this i've got a responsibility to people coming behind me and and you've got a responsibility and etc etc and and i think there are two places particularly when i look at scripture which are a huge kind of I think very, very important and almost kind of like quite sobering things, actually, um, challenges, provocations from Scripture for us. First is you look in the Old Testament from Moses, who arguably is the greatest Old Testament leader, to Joshua, again, very, very excellent leader. It's generation to generation. And then there's this little phrase in the beginning of Judges, Judges 2, verse 10, that simply says, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord yep. or the work that he had done for Israel. And I think, oh my word, how did that happen? Greatest leader, excellent leader, they didn't know the Lord. Yeah. And that, that's sobering and challenging for me. And the second bit of scripture is, is, actually, is the story of Hezekiah. And you can just read it in 2 Kings 20. And there's an awful lot you could say about that particular scripture. But this is the bit that Isaiah prophesied that the future of the nation of Israel is really very bleak. But it won't happen, Hezekiah, until after your lifetime. And Hezekiah has this moment and he has this opportunity to go, actually, I'm, I'm more bothered about what comes after me. Mm. And he doesn't take it. No. He, he, it, he turns out to be quite comfortable. He goes, well, it's not 
It's not my it's problem. It's not my problem. It's not my day. It's not. He's he's more bothered about preserving his current situation than the security of what comes after him. And he literally says in in, in verse twenty one of chapter twenty, "Why not? If there will be peace and security in my days." And I, I just find that so sobering and challenging and provoking. It's not just about peace and security in my day and in my generation. It's about what comes next. I, that sense of ensuring that a generation. I'm, I'm not saying you're Moses and I'm Joshua, by the way. <laughs> but that sense of from one to another, and they didn't know the how, how, I mean, mm. how do we guard against that? How do mm. we make sure that each generation plays its part and the next gets it? And again, this is why it's so important that the two generations are in a church and they're kind of running together. That's just a sweet spot when that kind of really happens. So if you're younger, this is your church today. And if you're older, this is your church today. And we're hearing from God together as a, as a corporate people. Um, and, and I think this is one of the great contributions that my generation has to ensure that a new generation carries on, gets hold of and carries on those values and those convictions of the past. And I, I think for me, there are three ways that my generation plays its part, and that is to teach the word of God in other words, what we believe has a biblical conviction mm-hmm. that's come from our generation. I'll come on to the next one in a minute. Secondly, that we tell stories. Mm-hmm. I think it's important that we do tell. I think one generation telling another is that the older generation told the stories of what God did yeah. through them in the past. And we've got stories to tell, which are fascinating. I think the next thing is we need to model it as a generation. In other words, we set an example to the new generation and then we, can, we impart the experience of what God has monk, done amongst us to that next generation. The guys you've just talked about in the Old Testament, they kept it from themselves. And the whole thing is they should have passed it on to the, a new generation. So that the next generation needs to hear these stories. They need to have their own biblical convictions. You can hear me preach, and many of you have for years, but it can't just be me that's zealous about what I believe scripture says. The next generation has got to be equally as convicted and convinced about those things as well. And then I believe that this new generation also needs to have the same experiences that my generation has had. So if you get, if you're, if you're biblically convicted, that's one thing, but another thing is, okay, I'm now convinced in scripture, but then what is my experience? Mm. And church history tells us that sometimes you water down the biblical conviction or history tells us that sometimes they talk about a generation's past experience and then it's all fading away. I don't want us to be like that. And, you know, we're going to talk about redigging the wells and we might over these next few weeks begin to uh, uh, roll out what those things are that need to be redug or, you know, they're already there, but we need to have them. My hope is that all of us, even my generation, will have a new fresh encounter yeah. with some of those uh, wells that have been redug, as well as the new generation who have never experienced. Let me just quickly give you three examples. One is passion for the church. Yeah. My generation has lived with a passion for the local church. Sometimes people say, why does new community exist or do these things? Well, it began with a passion for the church. I'm desperate for my new generation, a new generation, to have the same passion. So I need to talk about it, preach it, but I'm not gonna be around forever. So hopefully another generation will be just as equally passionate. Secondly is about things in scripture that the apostle Paul, for example, argues are to do with creation rather than culture. This is a massive battleground for the future. Will the next generation give into the cultural norm around it? Especially when it seems to contradict Scripture. I mean, marriage is a good example. The Bible's full of teaching about marriage, and it's not about first century marriage or 21st century marriage. It's about creation. And in the beginning, God said this, and it's it doesn't change to the culture. Mm. And then the third thing is the Holy Spirit. I think for me, this is really important. I come from a generation that's massively privileged to have had an encounter with the Holy Spirit in a fresh way. My passion is to tell people about that, show them it's there in scripture, but I can't wait to impart, lay hands on, pray for a generation 
that they might experience the Holy Spirit for themselves. Because if they don't experience the Spirit, it's just going to be old stories from the past. And I think those things are really crucial, but it is, and, and I know this is not what you're saying, but it's because we've talked about generations running alongside one another. It's not just, we're going to tell you some stories and pray for you and come on, be like that. And it's all this way to that way. There's also yeah. this reality of live this way. My experiences are different from your experiences. Yeah. My children's experiences are going to be different. And True. being, I, I think I'm technically a millennial still, um, but, they, but the, the generation that comes after me has a very different experience. And I can learn a ton of stuff from them about, because they're living this stuff out on the front yeah. line of life, of what it's like yeah. and culture and all of that yeah. kind of stuff. And so it's this wonderful sort of picture we see in scripture that we see in family, actually, you value those who are ahead of you, you look to them, you ask the questions, and you value those who are behind you, you look mm. to them, you talk about your experiences, yeah. and we walk together and we yeah. live life and, together. And just to say the point that God's always doing a new thing, so my generation has had experiences or has values and experiences from the past. We might think this generation has to experience it exactly the way that yeah. we did. And, but the Holy Spirit, of course, biblically, he will do the same things. There are still gifts of the Spirit. Yeah. But the way we encounter God and, and, and experience the Spirit cannot be exactly like it was in the past because it's past. And he's doing a new thing. Well, I, I can, I've experienced that myself in the years we've been at New Community. And just use something like worship as an example, style of worship, sure. the songs we used to sing and the congas hey, you used to lead. Those, some yeah, of those songs were pretty good. Some of them were pretty good. Not many, so, but some of them were. <laughs> no, to be fair, there were, there were pretty good songs. But, but the congas you used to lead were, may, might have been appropriate well, in 2005. I think it's the future. Yeah, well, maybe. And then, but actually you look at kind of, We've still got these deep values. We'll come to some of those in a moment. But the expression and the experience of some of those things, that's what I think we're talking about yeah. in terms of rethinking, realigning ourselves biblically. How does this work in terms of mission, in terms of worship, in terms of community, in terms of all these different kind of things? Uh, when, when we look back over the years um, of the new community story, uh, there's been all sorts of things that have changed, all sorts of... Uh, I think I remember sitting in the very first elders meeting I ever sat in. We were never going to leave the school that we met in. Yes. One meeting, one place, one time, yes. at one moment. Well, that school doesn't exist anymore. No. <laughs> that building's gone. Exactly. And um, we're now in multiple locations, in multiple places. Right now in this season, we've kind of come back together for a period because of obviously the last 18 months, but we will go again into locations and uh, new places. A uh, Abraham, Doug Wells, Genesis 26, all that we talked about in part one, Isaac came, re-dug some of those wells, but also some new ones into new places and went into new lands. Um, but so lots has changed, but what have been some of the consistent features, would you say, distinctives, DNA, yeah. whatever language you want to use over the decades in new community? I think um, we've always been a church that's had a vision. And one of the things I've loved being in a new community over these decades is the people's uh, desire to see that vision fulfilled and not compromise along the way. Yeah. And so we've been a pioneering church. I'm not saying we've always been as radically pioneering as you should be, but right up until now, I think we have pursued prophetically God's call upon us, and I'm really praying that happens in the future. I think another uh, consistent feature has been um, our emphasis on relationships. Um, that's been challenged sometimes as we've grown uh, numerically, as we've become more diverse. I think it's been challenged um, in terms of the busyness of all of our lives. But I still think that's in our DNA. I think we are a, a fundamentally a relationally based church. One of the things that people have visited us over the years have remarked, oh, you're quite a big church, but the feel is very family. And I do think that's one of been our values. And I, I think we've got to fight for that all the way along the line. Of course, we're a church that's emphasized the grace of God uh, uh, an awful lot. I don't think it's so in our DNA. I don't think we're even aware of it. But I would have a filter in me when I see anything legalistic. I just passionately believe that's not the way uh, to do our Christian life together as a community. And we often describe ourselves, I do often anyway, that we're a word spirit church. 
and I, I believe we've been equally passionate about both, which is really important, yeah. that we're equally passionate about the word and we're equally passionate about the things of the spirit. I do think we've tried to be a church for everyone and the joy of this church has been that when you look at us in the 70s, we were hardly diverse at all. If you look at us now, the diversity is right across the whole life of the church. And I'm very excited about that because I think that's been in our DNA. And we might look, talk about this in a moment, but I think a passion for the marginalized, and I don't think we've always found out what that really looks like, but I believe it's in our DNA, and I believe it's something that we need to unpack for the future. And then just a couple more things, oh, well, one more thing I think for me would be, would be mission. And I think, again, that's something that's grown over the years. I think when we first started as a church, it was all about get the church right, get the church right. And if we get the church right, then the masses will come in. Because the reason the unbelieving world hasn't come in because the church is so boring and irrelevant. Um, and then you discover it doesn't matter how, how much you get the church right, no one's knocking on the door. You know, the unbelievers are still not coming. So maybe the change has been that that's good to be in our DNA, that we need to get the church right, but it's so that we are better equipped to reach those people who don't know Jesus. Yeah, so helpful. One of the things I think about, your, your values are not the things you say are your values. Your values are the things that you cherish and you do over a long period of time. And, uh, and they're, they're, in many senses, they're caught, not taught. You can tell people, these sure. are our values. <clears throat> and actually we do. <laughs> yeah. People join our church DNA. We talk about the big 10 things, Jesus, Bible, Holy Spirit, mission, diversity, community, discipleship, grace, justice, and everyone playing their part and everyone involved. They're the kind of the big 10. Um, and I kind of just wanted to, you, you raised some of those things there. I just wanted to just talk about a few of those because in one sense, all of those things have always mattered. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. It's always been about him. It always will be. I don't think we need to look at how do we biblically rethink, is it all about Jesus? Because it is. Um, but some of those things actually have changed a lot over the years. And you kind of referenced even like the diversity. I, I kind of, um, again, back to the redig the wells, Genesis 26, some of the prophetic stuff that when you transition leadership to me in terms of the foundations are good here. There was that there was a prophetic word that spoken over me in that moment and over us, the foundations are good. It's time to, to redig some of those in a new way for a new culture. And I think we're in that season again, but just take the diversity thing. When I first, when Hannah and I first arrived at this church, we used to talk a lot about nations, right? And, and, and that kind of, um, we were fairly, well, truthfully white middle-class church when we first arrived, um, but talking about nations a lot. And that kind of was, it's always been in the DNA, always talking about nations, but it was often seen as something that was kind of, we went to nations and uh, a church for the nations. And that was often for yourself and Liz's ministry, traveling around the world and others as well who've gone from here, come here, been here. That has been something, uh, well, that I think we've redug in the last few years, five, 10 years, and have seen huge change of understanding nations, not so much as, as countries, but as people groups, mm. and not so much go, but actually being <clears throat> shaped by that and becoming this beautiful, diverse, we see the picture in Revelation, picture where we can't do it perfectly, but as imperfectly as we can go there and grown on that. And that's it's not actually anything new. It's always mm. been there, it's just been, the outworking of that and you can you can see the same for for kind of other other things as as well whether that's sort of um community and family and like the way we've done small groups or whatever has been very very different over the years but but it's always been there and it's just reimagined what on on things like well let's take justice on justice you mentioned the marginalized the heart of the poor i think when i first arrived at the church it was kind of talked about but not a great deal was necessarily done. And in recent years, <clears throat> things like IJM and Compassion and various other stuff, as well as local initiative things going on, on the ground and real heart for that and growing. And we're going, I describe it as a justice journey, really. And then in COVID, someone sends me an email and tells me, because we talked from Isaiah 58, you wouldn't know this, but Isaiah 58 was prophesied over this church mm the very first cold February night or something, I yeah. don't know when. And they poke me, 
it's in the DNA. It's always yeah. been here, and we're just looking at that. I mean, take justice. Take the heart for the marginalised. Yeah. Just was it, firstly, is that true? Was it prophesied? Over yeah, it was. Church? It was not only prophesied, but a guy who was a visiting speaker. Some of you might still remember a guy called John Harris. He actually felt God told him to preach on it. So wow. the first three Sundays, I think, I actually was there. Um, he uh, he unpacked Isaiah 58 and left it with us as a, a prophetic calling. And actually, over the years, it's something that's come back. Not only Isaiah 58, but that kind of burden. I mean, the jury's out, isn't it, as to how far we've come on that journey. Um, but I love it, the fact that God hasn't let us off the hook. And I think that um, as a church community, if we have been privileged, if we have been blessed by God, and I think we have over the years, then it's like, it's like Joseph and the storehouse. It's actually an abundance, not to keep to ourselves, but out of everything to give and give and give and give. So I think that the justice issue is one of those wells, and it's probably a very deep one mm. that needs to be take time to dig it out. Yeah. Now, I would say where we are 18 months on from where you and I last sat here and talked about three weeks, <laughs> um, that the world has changed and the needs have changed. I mean, Liz and I now sit in our house in Mottingham uh, like you do, because you know, sometimes we couldn't go anywhere else. We, had to, we were under lockdown, and you just watch people. Sadly, some of those people literally you can see deteriorating, whether it's mental health or whether it's even just poverty. Mm. Uh, and and I, I guess people watching this would be aware of this. You look around and you just see the needs are not you know, over there somewhere. They're actually on our doorstep. Has COVID given the church an opportunity to really dig those wells of compassion and justice uh, and not that some to support something that happens on the other side of the world which is absolutely valid and great but actually is now happening on a Dell step and my my gut feeling is that this if, if covid continues to kind of vanish slowly it might always be around but in reality it's not the problem that it yep. was the aftermath of it will be going on for years and years in other words two or three years from now this new generation in new community will probably be more into uh, meeting the needs of people, the injustices that we see around us, the marginalized that's everywhere, more than we are even as we sit here today. And that kind of ties in with the mission thing of, of who are we, what we're called to seek and save the lost. That's what Jesus came to do, to serve those on the margins to serve those who are the least, the last, the lost, to go and actually outside of, get out of our little comfort bubbles and go. Yeah. And you, you mentioned it earlier, kind of in terms of missions always been the same, but this sense of actually we'll be the church and everyone will come and it's like, oh, okay, maybe not. So mission has always been at the heart of who we are. Yes. How that looks then has yes. changed, hasn't it? Over yes. the years and, yes. and I'm not going to sit here and pretend that evangelistically we are knocking out of the park and we're an amazing church at this because truthfully we're not. We've got this passion in our heart for mission and for the lost and serving the lost, whether that's in what we just talked about or uh, reaching unbelievers. That journey has been an interesting one even in my time here as a church. Far more missional was the buzz phrase a few years ago, but yeah. far more mission-minded, yeah. recognizing we have a responsibility for that and trying to... Um, I don't want to say redesign or re-engineer, but shape things in our community, small group life or church life to actually be far more equipped to go and reach yeah. and rather than just let's build this. I mean, yeah. what you've seen it over many more years than me. You've got any other kind of thoughts and comments on the shape of mission and the need yeah. to be one of the lessons coming out of this much more intentional yeah. about releasing people yeah. to go and do I that. I mean, you said we're not knocking it out of the park. I actually think... It's possibly one of our greatest weaknesses. <laughs> I want and, it to be uh, nice. <laughs> and uh, from leadership, yeah. No, so we true. are the ones that set the example. And all the way through, I think the desire to win the lost is there, to, to share our faith in Jesus is there. But for what it, and it's in the DNA of the church, no doubt about it. it we, we have no future as a church unless we go missional, unless we share out. You know, there's not a great big church transfer world out there anymore. The church is you know not large in this country so 
90% of the population either don't know Jesus, have no intention of coming to church. And it's great to have centralized alphas and it's great to preach the gospel on Sundays and have baptisms. And these are all wonderful ways of, may we do that more and more, but it has to turn now into individuals who are bolder than they used to be at sharing the faith. Now, I would argue again, has COVID given us the opportunity? Are people more open to the gospel? Well, let's go and find out. Our experience, people are open to prayer. They're not even Christians. But if you say to them, can I pray for you? We've had several illustrations of where, well, yes, please, because I'm so desperate. And I do think it's got to turn around on, it, on its head and it's, it's got to become, wouldn't it be wonderful if the, if the future of new community were that we were seeing dozens and scores of people regularly coming to Jesus because people in our church are living a life that's attractional and also sharing their faith as a natural kind of way. And I covet that and I see other churches who are more like that and they provoke me. Don't know if you remember Pete Anderson, who was a guest mm. speaker at Ashburnham, our yeah. last Ashburnham. And uh, he's a great guy. And over COVID, I've spent time with him. He's spent a couple of days with me uh, down here. And he's building this great church in Edinburgh and, and other churches coming out of his church. And I, I wish I had what they had because they're very like new community. But the thing that's different is there's just this kind of passion for the lost which comes out in everything they do in every individual and uh, I spent time with him asking him questions about how did you build it like that partly it's him mm. but partly it's all because they haven't they haven't removed this passion because church got busy and they all got caught up in one another they never lost it and I hope and pray our future is that we do become a missional church which more and more means us being more courageous individually to share our faith with people and that they come on the journey with us and they come to know Jesus. And I think that kind of cycles back or circles back, sorry, to something you said earlier in terms of lessons that other church leaders and church movement leaders have, and we ourselves are picking up this tackling consumerism. Yeah. And consumerism is meeting my felt needs and serving me and this should suit me and if it doesn't suit me ah, it's not for me yeah church in one sense is probably the only organization in the world that exists for those who don't yet belong to it yeah we're not a club yeah and pay your membership fees and whatever and so tackling consumerism comes from recognizing one generation to a next we're not we don't want to be hezekiahs it's okay for me my felt needs. So therefore, I've got to recognize and accept some of it will be uncomfortable yep. for me. Um, Owen Hilton, years and years and years ago, um, preached here and he talked about if, like diversity and stuff and was talking about if you're in a church where, I think he said 75% or more, you are totally comfortable and agree with, you're not in a diverse church. Yep. Yep. And that's shifted, I think, and it's changed. And there's a lot of people who have kind of jumped through a whole load of uncomfortable things and I'll go with this and that that kind of stuff but that's always stuck with me he was talking about building diverse churches and that's still absolutely applicable and relevant but I think it's stuck with me in terms of just preference there are certain things I'm going to have to sacrifice my preference but also the uncomfortableness of being on mission yeah because wouldn't it be nice and easy if it was actually the goal was just to make church comfortable for the people yeah. who exist here and so that importance of one generation to the next just provoking one another, whether it's down that way or that way, it doesn't matter, of ensuring that we keep reminding ourselves this is what it's about. Don't get comfortable. Don't be a consumer. And you can be a consumer when you're a young person living, but you can be a consumer big time. It's an idol in my generation, a consumer of education. Mm my child's education is more important than anything else and I've got to chase this and chase that and you can be a consumer in your generation yeah. my retirement plans and my yeah. Yeah. and ensuring that we live each generation passionately following Jesus doing the things that Jesus did will result in us having to be a little bit uncomfortable sometimes mm with some stuff and yeah. living in this tension. Yeah. Church is always in a tension, isn't it? Yeah. It's like kind of not a problem to be solved, it's a tension yeah. to live in. How best 
from years and years and years of you still loving the church, still loving Jesus, still loving your wife, <laughs> well done, <laughs> still loving your family, still here. What are some of the things that have just helped you keep living with things? Because I know there are certain things that are not necessarily your preference. Mm. Even over stuff that I've kind of done as we redig some wells, you think that's not exactly how you had done it, but it, it's sufficiently okay in the DNA. But yeah. how have you kept going on that front like that? So one um, is making sure your, your passion for for Jesus, your gratitude for all that he's done um, is at the very center of your life. And actually changes can come and go all around you, but if that is what your, um, your, your, your major purpose in life, to worship him, to have a relationship with him, in other words, your devotions are massive. So when all the changes come all around you, your identity isn't in the changes, but it's in your what with Jesus. Um, if disappointments come, and there's been a few of those over the years, um, why don't I just throw in the towel and walk away? Well, because there's this passion for, that I want to keep in my relationship with Jesus. It's like if things go well or bad, if the church grows or diminishes, if you've still got this passion for Jesus at the center of it, that's more important than anything else. I would say that's one of the things that's enabled me, I think, to stay consistent yeah. so that my passion doesn't change for Jesus. So my passion for the church doesn't change, even when there are difficulties and disappointments and you feel like walking away. And then the other thing is to keep a big picture story in front of you all the time. <clears throat> We're involved in something which is eternal. Yeah. So it's kind of like, I know that sounds strange for us because we're so earthbound, but to lose that eternal perspective that this is the bride of Christ and this, that, that she will be in eternity forever with the Lamb is such a big picture story. It's such a global story. It stops you getting all caught up in, in the minor details, some of which have got importance in the moment, yeah. but they're not really that important. Yeah. You move on 10, 20, 30 years. So I think the personal devotion don't you know when jesus when, when hebrews says you know uh fix your eyes on there's a reason for that because if you don't fix your eyes on jesus you fix your eyes on other things and you get distracted and then keeping the big picture must have big picture all the time so that you're not in the here and now and all the confusion that's there and then final thing maybe to say for me would be to, to totally ensure that my life is not earthbound. And I think in the Western world, as pastors, it's been one, it, it continues to be one of the most difficult things to pass the people in this light of eternity because there's so many distractions to all our lives. And I honestly believe that COVID, we just keep referring to it because it's, so changed everything, has potentially unsettled all of us. I was talking to some pastors recently and we agreed together that it was all, this has all been very unsettling. And it's picking up the point you've just made. It's not bad to be unsettled. And the questions I have for me personally, maybe for us, is have we become so slick and neat and tidy and predictable, as I said, whenever I said it. And, and basically, there's been an unsettling of the nest because it needed to happen. And I, I pray that we won't just go down the cautious, safe line. If we've all lived through these last 18 months, please may it be for a reason. It cannot be, well, that was an inconvenient interruption. Yeah. It's got to be that that was a time in our lives where God was preparing us for something greater. Yep. And pre-COVID, we weren't ready. And post-COVID, maybe, maybe, we're just a bit more ready than we were. And I, I, that's a great place to kind of finish, because uh, yes and amen. And I, I have a phrase I've used over many years, 
that was then the best yet to come, which is was then slightly hijacked by a U.S. president. Um, so I started saying there are better days ahead <laughs> in that kind of mode. But um, that really is true. That is we have that. You mentioned it earlier, kind of when we talked about looking back at scripture and Acts 2, well, Acts 2 follows Acts 1, and just want to end with this, because this, there's a lot of things we don't know. We don't know what's next. We don't True. know this. We don't know that. But there's a lot of things we do know. And just the beginning of Acts 1, Luke says in the, in the first book, obviously his gospel, O Theopolis, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, which means this bit is what he's continuing to do yep. now through his church. Yep. He's passionate about his church. The bride don't look all that beautiful around the world yep. at the moment, but it will one day be yep. perfectly beautified. And then little, well, they're just asking him some questions. And a few verses later, verse six, so when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom? And that's a question, I guess, Lord, are you, you going to, what is this? Is this going to be the moment? Lots of us that. And Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the father is fixed by his own authority. We don't know. There's only one who does. We, that's not us. We don't know what's going to happen next. We don't know this and that and the other. But what we do know is the next verse, promise. But you will receive power hmm. when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So we know. We don't know this. We don't know that. We don't know the other. But we do know. We will receive power. Yep. We wait upon the Lord yep. to be his witnesses. Yep in the boroughs of Bexley and Greenwich and Bromley and beyond the city into the city of London and to the nation and the nations of the world. And that's what we're caught up in. That's the story. That's what we're part of. Amen. Let's pray. Yeah. Jesus, we thank you so much that you're building your church. Thank you that she has remained steadfast, has not has not been broken by this. We've been knocked a bit and battered a bit and a bit kind of confused by this and that and I'm not sure about what this and that's happened and all the rest of it, Lord, we, we come back here and we recognize it's not for us to know times or seasons that the Father's fixed, but we believe, we believe that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. Thank you that you, Spirit, have now been poured out. I pray for that we will freshly re be filled and receive new filling of the Holy Spirit, fresh power to live this mission out, that we will be effective witnesses increasingly in the places where we live, in the circumstances where we find ourselves, in the sphere of influence where we are, and that you would build your church, you would extend your kingdom, and we would be a confident people, not in ourselves, not in our plans and our strategies and our ideas, but in your purposes, which will not fail, your promises which shall come to pass, for we are caught up in the most exciting thing in the whole of the world right now, the ingathering of the elect from every tribe and every tongue. Oh Lord, help us to play our part in that. Every church around here to play their part in it too. Do you want to pray for every single member of New Community, all those who call home, that we would be a intergenerational church, family together who run alongside one another, redigging wells personally, but also corporately, that we might see your glory spread throughout these boroughs, this city, this nation, and the nations of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.